Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. UK Tech Weekly Podcast. What a week has been for tech news with proper juicy investigative journalism, ocean-based online group pirating, and nostalgic celluloid remembering. It could only happen on the UK Tech Weekly. Here we go. To throw an estimate at it, we've all been on Facebook for about a decade. Uh, In that time, I shared my data with 81 third-party apps, Dom with 91, Scott with 35, and Lewis with 326. (laughs) That means that the four of us gave 533 third-party apps our data over 10 years. Imagine how many privacy-averse Lewises there are in the world, and the Cambridge Analytica scandal comes into perspective. The news, though, uh, is that a company harvested data from around 50 million Facebook profiles and then used this data to influence existing political bias, in this case uh, of the Brexit vote and 2016 US election. But Scott, uh, CA's reach goes further than that, though, and Facebook seems complicit in this involvement. It does. I mean, this is um, probably the biggest tech story of the year um, in terms of reach. I mean, uh, Channel 4 News, The Observer and The New York Times were the kind of main players in terms of breaking this news but it's really got such a wide-ranging impact in terms of the fact that sort of everyone uses Facebook um everyone kind of just gives their data away for free without considering the the implications and now we're finally starting to see what those implications could be Um, it's difficult but can you sum up what the story is yeah I mean it's it's it is a tricky story to sort of sum up but Basically, what came out this week that made it a story, basically, is that um, Christopher Wiley, who um, you may have seen pictures of because he's got a shock of pink hair. um, He uh, used to work at Cambridge Analytica and he blew the whistle on um, a deal that they did back in 2014 with a British-Russian psychologist. And what he had done is he had created a... Um, his name is Alexander Kogan. He created a sort of one of those uh, sort of throwaway personality quizzes that everyone, or at least your, all of your friends, did on this Facebook. Is your digital life, yeah, is the app through which that was accessed, right? Yeah. So tell us some stuff about your, your personality, your views, and we will tell you what personality type you are. Um, this was all done under the guise of it being an ac- piece of academic research. Um, Kogan then sold the data from that 
to Cambridge Analytica, which wanted to use it to profile um, people according to their political views and then target ads at them. So if you showed a propensity for conservative politics, they would send you videos about Hillary Clinton being a crook or something like that. Yeah. Um, the main issue here in terms of Facebook's complicity um, is that they kind of allowed this to happen because their rules for developers back in 2014 was that if someone takes a personality test like that, of which about 300,000 people did, mm-hmm. um, they then gave permission for you to access all of their friends' data as well. If their friends' privacy settings were open, which yes, many people which they are. were by default. Yes. <laughs> which means that those 360,000 thousand people that were surveyed ended up creating a cache of 50 million Facebook profiles. Yeah. For which Cambridge Analytica could then start to target political ads. Um, they did this for the Ted Cruz um, campaign and then um, they were very closely linked with the President Trump campaign. Steve Bannon was uh, on the board of Cambridge Analytica. He was um, Trump's White House advisor. Um, and then uh, it's also been linked but not proven that Cambridge Analytica provided service to the Leave.eu campaign um, ahead of the Brexit vote. So really sort of wide-ranging impact in terms of those two elections winning. Uh, you definitely, I mean, the CEO of Cambridge Analytica, I think, is on the record bragging about basically winning Trump the election. But yeah, I, I think we can count that out as sort of bragging. Yes. But it definitely had an impact. And people are angry. People are really upset that their data has been used in this way without their implicit permission to create political outcomes that they might not agree with. Yeah, so the argument here is that First of all, to prove that this is actually illegal is a little bit of a paper trail, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. the research itself was done for free by Alexander Kogan under the guise of academic research. Yeah. But then it's his selling of that information to a third party, which is dubious. Yeah, so the way Facebook frame it is it, it, it's a breach of trust. Okay. And that's what it is. I mean, it's kind of a loophole because they didn't technically do anything illegal. But what they did do is, is unethical because the research was done under the guise of it being sort of uh, academic research. But then they sold that. Um, for political gain, which then, is which is certainly yeah. a, a grey area. <laughs> and Facebook claimed that they had uh, ordered Cambridge Analytica to delete the data. Yes. But Christopher Wiley claims that the only way that they checked this was done was by getting him to fill in a form. Yeah, he he called it a, he called it a tick he actually called it a tick box exercise. Yeah. Um, they did threaten to send in um, forensic auditors, but then they were apparently satisfied by Wiley's um, assertion that they had. <laughs> Uh, deleted all the data box ticking um sort of you know fast forward four years and now that this scandal has been broken to the public facebook are now freaking out and they actually sent in some auditors to double check that all the data has now been deleted so that it can't be used again um but so, that that kind of feels a little bit like shutting the, do- oh, the yeah. barn door after the horse is bolted <laughs> is the phrase yeah i think that works um so this story has evolved from Cambridge Analytica being this sort of um, shady organisation that no one had heard of mm-hmm. to their um, sort of slick, slimy CEO yeah. um, sort of being suspended from, from his job or whatever. Yeah. Um, but now the Sauron gaze has turned to Mark Zuckerberg, who yeah. was, um, he always gets a bit of a bad uh, deal in the press, but sometimes deservedly because when these scandals come up, it takes him ages to say anything. Yeah. And when he does... His uh, long-winded uh, explanations often are ways of not actually apologising or admitting uh, responsibility. Yeah, I mean, he 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 
didn't apologize. <laughs> I mean, he, yeah, he yeah. like literally didn't apologize. Um, they use language like they they are sort of disgusted that they, their services have been abused in this way and things like that. Yeah, and yeah, he did. He he responded with a sort of a, a thousand word um, mere culpa of sorts. Um, he he opened it with the line, "I want to share an update," which is kind of <laughs> ironic because it's like five days on from the scandal, and also he he kind of saying you want to share an update means that it kind of sounds like he's doing it off his own accord rather than, rather being, than being hounded by every journalist <laughs> yeah. yeah and also um it, it could have so easily opened the statement with i want to start by apologizing yeah but instead he said i want to share an update um, which is then him basically just outlining the news yeah he lays out the timeline <laughs> yeah he lays out the timeline from a facebook perspective um it all it all probably checks out, but you know it's 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 kind of a potted timeline from their perspective, um, and it talks a lot about breaches of trust and things like that. Um, he he then kind of um, says that they had already dealt with this issue in 2014 um, when they restricted uh, the rights that apps have to access your friends' data. So basically, yeah. the way that they harvested the data, they were made aware of this. Um, around the time and they closed off access to open uh, the open graph api which is the um it's it's the back end of facebook which like links everyone to their friend network and that was the really powerful tool that was abused for for a little while they kind of closed off the access to that and they they shuttered the service in april 2014 um and then he went on to kind of outline three further steps to try and deal with this enveloping scandal okay do you, um, have, do you have them yeah, um, first they're going to investigate all apps that had access to a large amount of data um, and okay. they're going to um, change our platform to dramatically reduce data access um, and conduct a full audit of any app with suspicious activity. Um, step number two, which is the really important one in my opinion, is that they are now restricting developers' access further um, to prevent any further abuse. So now um, if uh, they're going to remove developers' access to data if you haven't used the app in three months. Uh, they're going to reduce the data that you're given at when you sign in to your name, your profile photo, and your email address. Yeah. Um, and they're going to require developers to not only get approval, but also sign a contract, um, in air quotes, in order to ask anyone to access um, their posts or other private data. So it, they're making it much more implicit when you're sharing stuff that isn't just your name. Yeah. Um, so your your actual profile data, the stuff that could be useful to a marketer or a political consultancy. Uh, the third is that they're going to... Um, this month put at the top of everyone's news feed um the tool which basically shows you all the apps that you've given your data to that you mentioned earlier um so that you can start revoking access to them and deleting them um the irony there is that that tool has always existed it's just been buried in your privacy settings yeah exactly um Um, also lewis will need to set aside about four hours (laughs) it took me a while yeah and i had like 35 this is is the thing so like this is what i also wanted to discuss uh, aside from the uh scandal itself is um our reaction and the general public's reaction to facebook as a service um because in some ways the first step in my mind is that the scandal has to be simplified in order for people to understand it so I saw, um, I, I forget actually who made this point, I'm sorry, but it was that people understood Edward Snowden a lot easier mm-hmm. because it was like, people bug your phone, mm-hmm. they're listening to you and people can get that really easily. Yeah, We've just shown over the last 10 minutes of conversation that that is about as long as you need to explain everything in this chain. Yeah, So this isn't as simple as the whole hashtag delete Facebook campaign. No. no. But at the same time, um, our relationship with these services and that 
data as a commodity has to be understood a little bit more. Because I looked at my list of apps, right, and I didn't want to delete everything that was connected to mm. it. I don't want to just delete Facebook. It's not as simple as that. That's quite a, a backwards way of thinking about it. And for a lot of people, Facebook is so important to keep in touch with people in, in developing markets. It basically is the internet. Well, yeah, the Philippines it is yeah. the internet. Um, so like, it, people do need it as a free service. I don't want to disconnect it from my Airbnb because that's how I've been logged in. So mm, I yeah. need to use mm-hmm. it for that. But then which philosopher are you? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently I did that once. The, the, uh, the, the quizzes to, should go. The quizzes, yeah, the yeah, quizzes that's should That's what go. I went through and yeah. pruned out of mine every single quiz I've ever done. <laughs> so yeah, Lewis and uh, Adam, aside from uh, all the apps that you uh, gave permission to over the years, what's your um, thoughts on, on this? Do you, does it change your opinion of Facebook or are you more inclined to uh, sort of distance yourself from, from this scandal? I mean, <clears throat> I've always, I mean, we've always known that you know, Facebook harvest data and it's the same as you know, Twitter and everything else. Like, they all take a data, they're all going to market it to other people. Um, so I've just kind of accepted it. But I mean, I don't use Facebook for a lot of things. Yeah. I, only, you know, I only really go on Facebook these days. Uh, I use it as a login for loads of different services, like you said, which because it's just a lot easier. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. I go on there to watch videos. I don't really publish anything personal on there. I don't do anything political on there. I just, it's it's an, a service for entertainment for me. Yeah. So I'm not too fast. What about you, Dom? Yeah, I'm pretty similar. I've always gone into Facebook and stuff like it, knowing anything I put in is going to be used by someone else some way, somehow. Uh, my Facebook is, you know, I'm more of a lurker than a poster. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I use the newsfeed a lot, and I sit on that, but I don't, I don't put much stuff on my Facebook. No, at I all. Never. I think. I, the f- sorry, go on. I do think it's really interesting that um, Cambridge Analytica has been really the straw man here. It's been, it's yeah. been the target of a lot of the ire. And when you look at the Channel Four coverage in particular, you can see why, because a lot of their practices beyond the stuff they did with data was was completely unethical. But that's mm. a completely separate topic. Um, what's what a lot of sort of the more astute or the more sort of informed uh, commentators on this subject have said is that no one should be surprised because this yeah. is what Facebook is. Yeah. Like, okay, this data was abused by someone to create a political gain that maybe a lot of people yeah. in the media especially will disagree with because mm-hmm. it tends to be sort of left-leaning and yeah. so does technology. Um, but Facebook has always been about connecting people harvesting your data because it's a free service and then monetizing that for marketers. Yeah. It's just a bit different if it's Unilever trying to sell you mayonnaise to if it's the Trump campaign trying to get Donald Trump elected. Yeah. It kind of it hits home a little bit more, but yeah. it doesn't change the fundamental fact that this is what Facebook does. And is this um, technology showing that it can be like the uncovering of what is basically propaganda? Because I mean, every political campaign has has had its own propaganda um, in the past. Yeah, it's just that if it's a um, I don't know a marketing agency coming up with a, a decent poster, yeah, then that's just that's just the simple thing. You've been swayed by that idea. Whereas this traceable seems more invasive because it is without our knowledge taken kind of sort of data facts about us and mm-hmm. used it against us in a way that is actually probably legal. Yeah, yeah. In some mm. instances, is that why people have a problem with it? Well, at the end of the day, the Obama campaign was was extremely yep. social media savvy. The, the the only difference is that a lot of the stuff that they put out there was was targeted, but a lot of the stuff they put out was was pretty vanilla and also yep. generally factually correct. <laughs> the, the thing with yeah. the Trump campaign is that they had less of a bar ethically from <laughs> what they pushed to it's, the people that they targeted yeah it's the, the targeting isn't it. new it's what yeah. they did because if you look back there's a lot of articles around obama's second election campaign praising his campaign's use of social media mm-hmm. and targeted facebook mm-hmm. ads 
as a great example of the future of political campaigning mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of the same publications that are now you know slamming Donald Trump's campaign for doing the same thing were praising Obama for it but it's sort of a different tone the Obama stuff was about trying to mobilize people to vote in areas where maybe they wouldn't the Trump campaign was often about mobilizing people not to vote because <laughs> yeah. they didn't want those people to vote yeah. Clinton or for one of Trump's uh, Republican rivals uh, or it was encouraging people to vote vote for minority candidates who would sort of detract from the main things. It was a more sort of negative tone to the way they push things, whereas the Obama sort of usage was more sort of, yeah, do vote for the person you want to vote for, but vote for a Democrat. Yeah. Uh, the Trump was sort of more just trying to... It feels more artificial way of skewing yeah. it, trying to push people away from the way they might be inclined to vote. Yeah. The the other interesting thing with this whole scandal is is, is the Facebook response, obviously. It, right. it took Zuckerberg five days to, to respond um, despite lots of calls to this. Um, I do find it interesting that Sheryl Sandberg doesn't ever get sort of any flack around this. It's always Zuckerberg, but yeah. that's by the by. Um, but it, this finally hit Facebook where it hurts. You know, it, it wiped about 24 billion off their market cap overnight <laughs> when the scandal sort of hit. Yeah. The stock price plummeted. Um, so it, they they kind of had to respond because this is fundamentally a trust issue and if people don't trust the service they're not going to use it anymore yeah hence bottom line so that that really um has forced their hand to respond but what a lot of the coverage wired have been doing recently nick thompson's been sort of embedded with facebook for three years now i think um the interesting thing is how zuckerberg has gone from being extremely maybe naive is the right word but extremely you know mission driven community is a good thing without thinking about what the impact of that might be and he finally now seems a little bit chastened he seems like he's finally starting to see the power of what he's built to be used for bad rather than for good and (laughs) that kind of taking that veneer of sort of utopianism off of zuckerberg might in the long term be a better thing because he might be a little bit more of a realist leader yeah hopefully what what can the company really do though aside from assure us that they're um policing these data streams easier or, yeah. or is it that we're more tuned into the actual problem and that most people just will be like, oh, it's fine. Or people who don't mind that they've been influenced by this kind of thing or that they just see Facebook as a tool that is free and they don't really mind. Yeah, Facebook just need to ensure that this sort of thing doesn't happen again. But the problem is it's already happened and there's probably going to be more cases of this sort of thing coming to light. But they'll be in the past because Facebook have kind of put Band-Aids on a lot of those those sort of wounds now mm. um i personally think they'll be fine yeah <laughs> I, I i think you know that this is an outcry and it has wiped off some of their um some of their value but i i think in terms of the way people use facebook it, it's not really going to change too much long term thank you is there anything else anyway if you want to add to this quite big story <laughs> before we move on good facebook yeah. or face crook <laughs> Uh, face crook though. I mean they've always monetized people's data that's what they do yeah definitely face crook yeah face crook but we're still logged in <laughs> yep okay <laughs> coming up some more light hearted banter about pirates Nothing like a platform-exclusive seafaring adventure to get the juices flowing. <laughs> sea of Thieves is Xbox's latest online pursuit of gaming ecstasy. So, I'm going to stop pretending I know anything about it, but Lewis, you reviewed it, uh, so why is it a big deal? It's uh, it's, it's just, just different to what's on the market at the moment, because 
Okay, let me just explain the concept. Yeah. You, you go, <laughs> it's a game. Yeah, it's a game. First things first, you're not a real pirate. Um, you start off um, and you can you, you choose between two ships. You have a small ship or a large ship. Um, obviously pick the large ship. Obviously pick the large ship because you just want to destroy everything. Um, and then you choose whether you want to do it by yourself, which is absolutely boring. Nobody should ever do that. Do not buy the game if you want to play it by yourself. Okay. Uh, or you can play with people right. online. Um, you can invite your friends and play with them. Um, or you can get randomly... Uh, you know, you go, you go through the matchmaking process and you get paired with random people online, which can obviously go one of two ways. It can okay. go really well or it can go absolutely terribly. <laughs> and I've had experiences of both in the last few days. It sounds like you got paired with a bit of a Leroy Jenkins the other day. <laughs> <laughs> Explain. Is a... Uh... What, Leroy Jenkins or the story? <laughs> Maybe both. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, do, do you know the Leroy Jenkins reference? It's from World of Warcraft back in the day. Got Way back then. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, there, there's... That's that's the kind of the issue, or not the issue, the, the the positive with Sea of Thieves is that it's basically unscripted. The entire thing is unscripted. You go in and you do what the hell you want. Um, you, there's a bunch of voyages, which are essentially missions, and they're different types of missions that you can undertake. Okay. Um, uh, and they kind of range between uh, killing skeletons, because obviously that's a part of any pirate. Game. Um, and then you've got one that focuses, uh, uh, that focuses on merchants. So uh, you, you'll be kind of uh, sourcing items and taking them to other places. A bit boring for me. Uh, but my favourite one... I'd love one, that. No. I'd, I'd just sail around. <laughs> just sail around. The really chill. Just... Like an Amazon delivery. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the best one is the gold hoarders because this, okay. is kind, this kind of gives you the, the perfect pirate experience because it gives you treasure maps. Uh, and you get you get a, a picture of an island, you get a little X on the island, and then from there you have to go to your ship, take a look at the entire map of the entire world, find the island, and then work your way to it. Okay. Dig, And then once you get there, you have to dig up the treasure. You have to find that exact spot and dig up the treasure. Now, some, so it can either come in, in the form of a map with an X on it, or my favourite one is riddles. Okay. So nice. they'll tell you the name of the island, you'll get to the island, and then the rest of the riddle will reveal itself. And okay. then you'll have to go and find something and then walk... So you get a certain number of paces in a certain direction, do something else, and then you'll find the chess. With a team. With a team, okay. yes. Uh, so yeah, this is the big thing, is that communication is key in Sea of Thieves. Um, How do you do that with headsets? With headsets, such? yeah. So if you don't have a headset, uh, if you don't have actually, if you don't have a headset, they do have text uh, replies and stuff that you can use from the controller, but they're not very good. Okay. Um, it's much better with the headset because you can, you know, if you're the captain, you can be steering the ship. You can be barking out orders, telling them to adjust the sails, reload the cannons, yeah, you know, right. all that kind of stuff. Because you have to do everything on your ship yourself. Okay. Otherwise, it just won't. Sail otherwise, anywhere. yeah, nothing happen. You have to, you know, you'll have to lower the sails. You'll have to adjust around. the angle. <laughs> yeah, essentially. <laughs> it took me ages to work out how to actually sail because I, I jumped on the ship and raised the anchor and I was like, this, this isn't very fast. <laughs> I looked up and realized all the sails were up. So yeah. Right. Um, so yeah. The, uh, the, yeah, when you run your ship, you have to kind of run it as you would in real life. So you okay. have your captain, you'll have someone in the map room downstairs looking at the map and your location and giving you directions because there's no on-screen map or anything like that in Sea of Thieves. Right. You have to rely yeah. a lot on communication. So your character has to actually go and look at a physical map. You're sort of looking over your character's shoulder as yeah. they look at a map. Yeah. And the same when you're going around an island, you, your character just pulls out a map. Yeah. And you try and okay. look at the map. You work out so you actually have some people like peering over each other's shoulder. Oh, one character gets the map out and someone else like goes and looks at it. And that's quite that kind of thing. Yeah, because you can okay. flip the maps and stuff and you show it to your teammates yeah. so they can have a look without having to get it out themselves. Uh, um, okay. yeah. uh, but so that's all fun and good when you're just sailing around and looking for treasure and stuff. But it really comes into its own when you start battling other ships because you're not alone in CFEs on your yeah. ship. There are many, or not many other ships. There are kind of. I don't know the official number. There's not. No, it hasn't been announced. By I think there's a, there must be about five ships per server, which doesn't sound like a lot. But when there's four people on each one, it kind of okay. starts adding up. 
you don't want too much because you'd never get anything done. No. Uh, so are those <laughs> people looking for the same treasure as you? So, so you have to fight yeah. them? It, 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 it kind of ranges. They might not be on the exact same quest as you, right. um, but there are kind of world events in the game where everyone can join in. Uh, okay. They don't have to, um, you know, you can, you can uh, work together or you can just fight it out and then the winner gets to go onto the event. Okay. So these events come in the form, the, the one that people can join um, are like fortresses. So you, you storm fortresses full of skeletons and this is indicated by a massive uh, skull cloud that appears in the sky at a random time. And everyone in the map can see that. Everyone goes towards it. And yet yeah, the, then you can talk to people and see if you want to work together or not. But people don't usually want to work together. As soon, <laughs> as soon as you see another ship, chances are you're going to get fired at. And that's when it gets really interesting because then... You've, you've still got to run the ship. You've still got to do the sails. You've still got to do, uh, you know, the angles. That you've got to do the steering. But you've also got to then uh, fire the cannons. Go down, go downstairs under deck. Get, you know, more cannons to reload it all. And right. then once you get hit, you'll get holes in your ship, which will then, slowly, you know, your ship will slowly sink. So then, once that happens, you have to go down under deck and then start boarding up all the holes, getting a bucket, scooping out all the water and stuff while you're still fighting this <laughs> right. other ship. So it just becomes, you know, there's a lot going on. It's Communication yeah. is key, and you just. You know, the, the, the battles don't really last very long a lot of the time. You, you, there's usually one clear winner. But um, yeah, just it's just it's so much fun. And the best part is that you can put yourself in a cannon and then fire yourself onto the enemy ship and then just kill him from there. <laughs> oh, that's <absolutely laughs> that's a surprise. So has this, be, this game been a long time coming? And am I right in thinking this is a rare game? It is a rare yep. game, yeah. But the sort of new breed rare, yeah. which is now owned by Microsoft. 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 What else yeah. to rare, mate? So historically, they were the big... Uh, the big SNES and N64 studio uh, who were made stuff with Nintendo. So they made GoldenEye. Yeah. Um, but they also made things like the Banjo-Kazooie games. Oh, nice. Um, Perfect, Perfect Dark. Perfect Dark, Jet Force Gemini, yes. Killer Instinct. So a lot of the biggest SNES and N64 games that weren't made by Nintendo themselves were made by Rare. And they actually got... They worked with a lot of Nintendo licenses. Uh, so Donkey Kong Country, Donkey Kong 64, Diddy Kong Racing, things like that. Yeah. Um, but, but then, yeah, is... Microsoft bought them, hoping to capture that charm that made them like the, it was a you know big controversial thing in the industry. And Microsoft bought them because it was Microsoft scooping away a big prize from Nintendo. Mm. Uh, and then they kind of never made anything spectacular again. They made a lot of Connect games. Yeah. They made Viva Pinata. Yeah, uh, it wasn't great. They've just sort of yeah, some something got lost in the transition to Microsoft. Um, but then this has been sort of seen as their big comeback yeah. game, I guess. So yeah. is it good enough to represent that? So this is the question, because <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of fun to play. Um, you know, there's no dispute in that. I've had a lot of time, you know, I've played it pretty much every evening this week. And um, yeah, I've had a different experience every night. It's been great. I'm mean, really enjoying myself. I like leveling up my character and customizing it all. Yeah. But that's about it. There's kind of there's kind of one layer to this game where um, you know you'll do your quests, you'll do the voyages, you'll level up, but then there's going to come a point where you've done everything, and you'll right. start to get bored. And there's no real end game content at the moment, which is what people are concerned about because the game is fifty quid, so it's okay. pretty expensive. And so if you were to play it as one player, I know you've advised against that, yeah. but there's no like a uh, story mode or anything. You're no, just there's doing no the campaign. Same things yeah. on your own. Yeah, you're doing right. the same things on your own in the same servers with with ships with four people and. You know, against a, a galleon, like yeah. a four-man ship. You won't last long. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll be gone. So, uh, this seems like quite an open-world game, even though you say that yeah. there's actually not a lot to do after you've done yeah. the amount that you've done. Uh, what are the games that are comparable to it? It's, it's, it sounds like it's beating No Man's Sky for fun things to do. But is it more like, is it like a Fallout game where you kind of like run around in this huge world? Uh, there's no stats or anything like that. So, it's kind of, you can't do any leveling or anything like that. Uh, 
because uh, you know Rare wanted to keep it all on on a level for all the players. They wanted to make it. You okay. know, you don't want to bump in. You know, if you buy a game, the game six months down the line and join in, right. you won't. You know, you wouldn't stand a chance if everyone had upgraded ships and stuff yeah. like that. It just wouldn't be fun. It sounds a bit Assassin's Creedy to me. Yeah, kind of a little bit actually. Um, it's a hard one to compare. It's kind of its own thing. Yeah, it's, it's, its, own... it's got bits of other. You could compare it a bit to the big uh, like survival games like Ark yeah. or something oh, like yeah, that. Okay. It would maybe be the closest thing, but a bit more accessible than they are. Yeah. But yeah, but there isn't anything that's like it. That's yeah. the thing. Um, but it is a game as a service. They said they're going to keep on adding content to it uh, going forward. So once you've bought the base game, you should be sorted. It's kind of like uh, I've been led to believe that it's going to be a bit like GTA Online. Okay. Where you know you've got the right. game and then you just it'll start rolling out content and. Uh, but GTA Online had the benefit of launching with a lot. Yeah, already it there. Had, yeah, it had a lot already there, and it had you know a full campaign to go along with it. Yeah, and it's the same price as. And is that is that cross platform as well? Uh, oh god, I don't actually know about Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> well, it's on multiple platforms. Yeah, it's on loads can, of different. You platforms. can't play cross platform. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, but it is okay. on the PS4 and Xbox. But the joy of CFE is that if you buy it from the Microsoft Store, um, you can play it on Xbox and PC. That's it. Yeah. And your progress will sync between the two, which is always nice as well. Yeah. So what uh, score did you give it out of five? I gave it a four. I'm I'm hope I'm hopeful for the future of CFEs. It just depends on what the developers add from now on. Okay, cool. So you're hopeful for it? Do you think it's going to be supported? I think it'll be supported for a while. You know, they, they, there's such a hype for this game, and you know, Microsoft yeah. have focused on it for so long. They're not just going to let it go without it, a fight. Yeah. It's a year where Microsoft doesn't have that many big exclusives. Yeah, <laughs> Sea of Thieves is their big game for yeah. 2018. So I don't think they're going to let anyone forget about it anytime oh, soon. No. <laughs> okay, cool. Good roundup. Thank you, Lewis. So uh, Sea of Thieves or Your Pet Peeves? I'll go Sea of Thieves for now. Cool. What do you think, guys? Yeah, Sea of Thieves, I'm, I'm, I haven't played it properly yet, but I'm really keen to. Yeah, I will never get to play it, but it sounds sick. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, cool. We're, we're thinking good for pirating, so we will be back after this to do some hardcore remembering things. <laughs> <laughs> There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. 
Recently graduated from, as I've said, the school of remembering things that people like and things that once happened, Steven Spielberg felt compelled to turn a quite successful novel into a flashy blockbuster, complete with token English blokes, famous cars from the ages, and a somewhat thin storyline. Dom? Yeah, that's probably about right. Uh, (laughs) We're talking about Ready Player One. Yeah, this is Ready Player One. Uh, Not going to spoil anything. I'll get it out of the way. I really, really, really hated this film. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Which none of us have seen. (laughs) That, that hasn't been the universe, uh, universal reaction of a lot of other critics, so, uh, you know, take it with a pinch of salt. But I, I sat through most of the two-hour running time, sort of mouth agape in, in horror and dismay. Right. Uh, Sometimes that can be fun. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I enjoyed watching it in the sense that I enjoyed how much I hated it. Uh, uh, so, wow. so, yeah, this is, this is based on a novel from 2011, I think, by a guy called Ernest Klein, uh, who also co-wrote the screenplay which is always a bad sign as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Right. It's like uh, the Fifty Shades franchise. The uh, novelist got involved with the screenplay mm-hmm. and apparently sort of tanked that production from within. Right. Um, I don't know how much input he had here. It's also co-written by Zach Penn, who's a very established blockbuster screenwriter of mixed track record. Yeah, well, um, if, if Stephen King had been allowed to co-pen The Shining, it would have been a very different movie. Yes. And it would have been a way worse movie. Yeah, so. very much so. Um, yeah, so it's it's... Uh, sci-fi it's set in 2045 I think basically in a sort of dystopian world there's sort of passing mention to the corn syrup droughts and the bandwidth riots <laughs> as, uh, <laughs> the things that triggered wow. the end of the world and basically uh, now now everything's everything's a bit rubbish the world's pretty grim and uh, grey and horrid but most people are fine with that because they live in a VR world called the Oasis um, which was invented right. by a, a guy called James Halliday, played by, played by Mark Rylance, who sort of played as a sort of mix between Mark Zuckerberg and Palmer Lucky and the dude Gandalf. from The Big Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, that sound great. It, it, it's, it's an odd part. Mark Rylance has a lot of fun with him and, and makes him more sort of tragic and heartfelt than I would have expected. Um, so the idea is he he's, he created this huge world, this VR construct that basically is the dominant platform uh, for for everything. It's a game, it's a social network, it's just where, you know, so the opening of the film just shows someone going through and everyone you see is in a VR headset, you know, just everyone in their house is, is in VR. Right. And they're all in the same shared world. Um, the film picks up five years after this guy's death. And when he died, he, he left, he made an announcement that he'd left three Easter eggs in the game. And whoever could find all three would inherit the entire company. Right. So that's like being told you got the chance to inherit Facebook. It's, you know, yeah. um, absolutely massive. Uh, the idea is five years on, no one's even found the first one yet. They know it's at the end of a race, like a car race, and that's it. And so it picks up there with a guy played by uh, a guy called Wade Watts, played by Ty Sheridan, who is uh, fine. He's there. He's, oh. he's on the film. He's, uh, he's way too handsome for the role. <laughs> yeah. Like, the, I, the, real, the character in the book is like meant yeah. to be like a geeky, like computer nerdy that. guy. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I haven't read the book, I should say. Um, but yeah, he, he, so he's there. He's a very generic, likeable Steven Spielberg lead. You know, he's good at yeah. doing that face, aghast in wonder, you know, looking up in amazement at things uh, yeah. that every Spielberg lead has to be able to do. Um and yeah, so he's, he's a down on, down on his luck guy who basically wants to win the Easter egg just because he wants the money. He, he's in poverty and he, he wants the chance to get this, you know, multi-billion dollar company. Uh, and from there we go. And it's him sort of with his online friends and they're going and doing this race. And sort of the race takes place about 10, 10 minutes in and it really sets the tone for the film. So it's in this VR world. He turns up. We've had this setup of what happens. 
he turns up, spawns his car in the race, and oh, guess what? It's the DeLorean from Back to the Future. Right. Someone pulls in next to him, and they're on a motorbike. And it's not just enough to see this motorbike, and you maybe see it and think, oh, I know what that is. A character has to make a point of saying, ah, that's the motorbike that Kanata rides in Akira. Yeah. And you go, okay, so if I'd gotten that reference, I'd just be annoyed you've told me. Yeah. Yeah. If I didn't get that reference, you telling me where it's from doesn't help because I clearly didn't get the reference. Yeah. Right, right. And it's that kind of thing. But that's then, what the book is. So you yeah. haven't read the book, but the book is just reference after yeah. reference after reference to pop culture. Yeah. And it, like, there, there are certain passages which are just exhaustive lists. Lists of things, yeah. yeah. Right. And, and that's, that's what this, yeah. Did you enjoy the book? <laughs> the book's fine. Yeah. Like, the, book, the book's fine. It's quite fun. It's a bit of a page turner. It, it's at times that's when it's at its worst is when he's okay. just rattling off pop culture yeah um references and stuff but it's it's okay it's um, very popular yeah and and this is you know this is the same kind of thing it's fun it's spielberg doing a fun blockbuster and you know the action sequences are nicely put together spielberg has always known how to do that like this race is great fun it's a load of cars it's all cgi obviously they're all going through this huge like new york uh new york streets race and then suddenly the T-Rex from Jurassic Park bursts out and starts attacking someone and they keep going and then King Kong turns up and there's a Batmobile and there's all this kind of stuff and you know it's thing after thing after thing turns up Spielberg knows how to string this together in a way that is entertaining to watch it is a lot of fun and it looks great but there's a sort of shallowness to it that's all you so, get so you're clearly not the audience for this film <laughs> Who might the be? The thing is, Dom, Dom, I am Dom is the audience. Yeah. I like all this stuff. I love everything it references. I picked up loads of them. I've sit there going, I know that, I know that, I know that. But I hate that my film watching experience has been reduced to. Right. I yeah. know that, I know it's that. It's almost that. like, it's almost like we are the generation for it in terms of like the references are for our generation or maybe yeah. the generation maybe older than us. Yeah. But what, because this movie has to be like um accessible to younger generations yeah. because that's where the money is at they have to explain these references because these if a kid if my little yeah. cousin yeah. who's 10 goes to watch this movie which he would because it's a blockbuster yeah he won't know any of the references and, and this is one of the things it might struggle with a bit because the big second act set piece the big middle of the film is a deep dive into one specific movie and i won't give away what it is um, and they go, and it actually shows the character basically go into that film. Oh, God, film. do they do that bit in the film? Yeah, so it, it's a big, <laughs> uh, I think it's 70s or 80s horror movie. Yeah. Um, one of the classics, you know, all-time iconic horror film that kids these days will not have seen because <laughs> no. it's A, a horror film, so it's an 18, I think, and B, it's an old one, you know, it, yeah. and it's not one of the big, it's, you know, it's not Nightmare on Elm Street or something. It's not yeah. one of the big friendly slasher films. It's a slightly thoughtful horror film. And it's nicely put together at first. They sort of, the characters go in and they actually use old footage from the film, CGI these characters into it, that kind of thing. It's all well put together. But I was just sitting there thinking, well, I get this, but like the 12 year olds you're hoping to win over have no bloody clue what this movie is. Yeah. And when these characters are making references to this thing and this thing, they have no idea what any of it means. They can't actually have the payoff of any of the cool stuff from that film because this has got to be a PG 13, 12A, yeah. whatever it is. And so what ends up happening is the moment it would kick into all the great stuff from that movie, Spielberg basically has to CGI montage everything together yeah. <laughs> and do this CGI mess of all the biggest bits from that film but made bloodless and action movie friendly. Right. And just it takes this great thoughtful horror movie and turns it into <laughs> generic CGI spectacle in a way that just, as someone who adores that film, feels almost insulting. Yeah. To what it, at first I liked that section because it felt like a nice homage. It was carefully done really painstaking in its reproduction 
And then it just felt like Spielberg saying, no, but I can make it better, bigger, more fun than that movie was. This whole like, film... That's not the point. Yeah, the whole film, which I haven't seen yet, and I will watch it, sounds like it's, it's really suffering from just trying to please everyone. And that's one of the worst things you can do mm-hmm. with, a, with a movie, in my opinion. Um, you, you kind of just have to find the audience and, and just let, let, let it be for them and yep. then hope that everyone else gets on board. If yep. you try and please everyone, it just becomes a bit of a mess. Yeah, it also suffers from just... There's some stuff like it's... With the online thing, the idea that, you know, all these people going to the Oasis, there's that like underlying message of you can be whoever you want to be. Yeah. Like, you know, and that's sort mm-hmm. of the charm of it. You can be whatever you want online. And there's a few, like, reveals like that of, like, character who isn't who they seem like they yeah. were online. But equally, it all gets lost in the fact that it boils down to, yeah, but so the lead is a conventionally attractive white guy and the love interest he meets who's the beautiful online avatar and... There's all this, oh, you don't know what they're going to be like in real life. They could be like a middle-aged man. No, it's a really yeah, it's... conventionally attractive, beautiful, white, like, <laughs> girl about his same age who happens to live in the same city if he's around the corner and they fall in love. And... Oh, okay. So you're basically saying, having seen an incredibly woke Black Panther. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. This is not like, that. To its detriment, yeah. Um, there's, some, there's some great um, people of colour actors and actresses in it. But, yes, but yeah. one of them only appears in Avatar form, I think. Letitia Wright. Letitia Wright is, uh, I'm tempted to say not in this film. Uh, <laughs> she is on the IMDb cast page. Someone actually interviewed her the other day and said, are you in it? And she said, oh, I think maybe I'm in one shot towards the end. I don't know. For context, Letitia Wright is um, Black Panther's sister. Shuri. Shuri. Who, who sort of the breakout absolutely that. steals that movie. Uh, to the point that now she's in Avengers Infinity War as well and they've suddenly started gearing half their marketing of that film towards Shuri's in it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> she In the comics, she actually becomes Black Panther, doesn't she? So yes. I think there's yeah. possibly rope for them to do that. Anyway. But, um, yeah, so there's, it's funny. If you go on the IMDb page, she's maybe listed the second or third cast member for Ready Player One right now because of IMDb sorts them by their star meter yeah. rating or whatever it is. But yeah, she's not. Don't go see it because you think Letitia Wright's in it. Okay. And it's got the girl from... Um, uh, Master of None? Master of None. Yes. She's got a big part. I can't remember her name right now. She's still my head. killing it this year. She seems to be yes. doing really well this year. Uh, and she, yeah, she's, she's, she's one of the core cast members. Um, also great is Ben Mendelsohn, who's, who's the bad guy. Sort of evil corporate classic Spielberg villain. Yeah, so that wasn't mentioned, was it? Like that, that's one of the, like the key things, like themes of the movie is like. Yes. It was created as like an open source sort of VR world for everyone to live in, and mm. and it's and but then there's this company. Is it called the company? The company is called IOI. At some point, they say what that stands for, but okay. I can't remember. Um, who mm-hmm. they basically want to win the competition, Just, so that they can corporately own it and monetize yes. it. So there's a fun sort of knowingly over the top bit where Ben Mendelsohn's villain sort of says we've you know projected that once we have this we'll be able to fill 80% of Oasis users visible space with ads before triggering seizures <laughs> and it's like oh okay yeah so they could have some fun with <laughs> really that. like over the top that's what it is um, and it is you know it, it knows what it is and it hits it hard like this is a movie that as far as I can tell unironically has the line from hero to villain a fanboy can always recognise a hater <laughs> like that is played straight as a character wow. moment that's the kind of level this is on and if you're fine with that if you just think that, yeah that sounds fun and the Iron Giant is going to fight 
some other, I won't spoil what, at the end. <laughs> and, you know, huge robots from many franchises will mash off against each other in the big fight. And then the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles will be there. And <laughs> this must like, have cost. Like, Halo guys will turn up. And... This film must have cost an absolute fortune. Not yeah, because, not only because rights. of yeah, the actors yeah. and Spielberg and all the CGI, but also the rights yeah. for everything. And for so many of them with throwaway things, like, you know, there's one bit, you know, there's bits where it just rattles through five, six references over the space of, you know, 30 seconds, yeah. all of which are on screen for a few seconds, but each of which has to be... T- like, you get... It's funny when you watch the credits, at the end, it is the, with thanks to, and there's, like, three <laughs> screens worth yeah. of corporations listed with thanks to. This this movie's <laughs> gone through a really interesting cycle in terms of, sort of, public opinion, because, like, when it was announced... And I think Spielberg's been trying to make this movie for a long time. Yes, for he's a been number attached of years. for a while. He's had the rights to it for a long time. Um... When it was first announced, there was a lot of fans of the book and a lot of people who were just like, I don't want this. Yeah. This is going to be horrible. And then the early reviews came out and everyone was like, oh, guess what? Steven Spielberg is quite good at making films. And yes. this is good. Um, but now there's like a, another wave again where, like yourself, people just do not like it. Yeah. So it's re- it's really gone through a lot of waves. I had no interest in, in watching it, but I've I've been kind of sucked in just to yeah. kind of see it and see what I think. Um so. I, yeah, I, I settled on it at two stars, yeah. which I felt like I was being generous. I was trying to acknowledge the fact that there are some strong performances in that, and Spielberg does know how to make Imagine a big, if Spielberg didn't adventure. make this movie. Yeah, Imagine it how bad. could have been a lot worse. Um, but the general tone from what I can see of other reviews is there's a lot of three out of fives. It's a lot yeah. of like, yeah. this is fun, it's fine. I haven't seen many people like falling over themselves in love with it. Is it Spielberg's worst film? Uh, I really hated War of the Worlds when it came out, but yeah. I've been told by a lot of people that I've missed that. that film is really good. What about um, Indiana Jones, Golden Skull? Crystal, Crystal Skull. Skull. Crystal Skull. I would rewatch <laughs> that before rewatching Ready Player One. Oh, God, that's, that's, that's <laughs> about as bad a review. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty damning. And we have Indy 5 on the way from Spielberg as well. Oh, just okay. announced they're filming next year. Late. Hopefully Spielberg. the sequel will deal with how uh, the company... Um, Deals with every player's third party. <laughs> data app. Yeah, not enough discussion of uh, data privacy settings in no. Ready Player One. Might have juiced that one up. Well, it sounds not quite as good as Sea of Thieves, but Dom, I don't even need to ask. Uh, <laughs> so I won't make up a, stu- <laughs> a, stupid, a stupid rhyme. Uh, maybe go see Ready Player One if you like old things. Go and buy Sea of Thieves if you like new things. And maybe see which apps you've let Facebook have a look at. Yeah. And until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. 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 UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. 
And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. 